one on one with Tilak. Please accept my humble obeisances. Thank you so much for joining us for the one on one interview. Happy to be here with you. So uh, we've just had a wonderful um, class from you, and as we all know and have benefited from, you've done lots and lots of um, classes and seminars that are available in person and online. And um, mm-hmm. the whole Iskon community in general has been really enriched by you. But um, besides these projects that you've provided for us, um, could you give us a little bit of insight into you yourself and your life? before Krishna consciousness and moving into it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was an introvert kind of person and I loved to read books and I loved to study and I thought study would be the way to happiness and success in life. And I found that you know, I went and one of my dreams was to be an astrophysicist. So I met a Student, I met a person who was a double PhD holder in astrophysics. And when I met him, I found he was a chain smoker. So I was shocked. I said, astrophysics is so exciting. If you get so much fulfillment in that, why, why do you need to smoke like this? Not that I consider smoking a moral evil, but just that I felt that, isn't your study giving you fulfillment? So slowly I started realizing that material knowledge, it is a tool for getting things done. But there is no intrinsic joy, not at least not many people have seen found that joy in it. So I started thinking, where can I, through the knowledge, what knowledge can actually give us enrichment and happiness? And I also did a, I also gave GRE at that time. One of my lifelong dreams was to be a topper. I was always among the toppers, but never the number one. I was joined first, second, third, and my most of my exams. So in GRE I gave and I got 2350 or 2400. So I first in the whole state of Maharashtra, that is probably a, a province in India which has population 10 times all of Australia. So it was a huge success and I was elated. But the euphoria lasted only for a very short time. After that I realized that just looking at the mark sheet doesn't give you any satisfaction. And then it struck me that actually it's only when people congratulate me that gives me happiness. And somehow one after another, after another, three friends forgot to congratulate me. And first I was annoyed, then I was irritated, then I was infuriated. And then it is as if I looked at myself from above and said, wait a minute, you thought this will make you happy, but you have become more dependent for happiness on others. And that's the time when I started thinking, what will actually lead to happiness? So I read Bhagavad Gita 6.22, which talks about the state of spiritual consciousness. You attain that consciousness, there is nothing, no desire will trouble you, no distress will trouble you. So I thought this is what I want to attain in my life. So studying the Bhagavad Gita, savoring the Bhagavad Gita and then sharing the Bhagavad Gita. That's what I try to do in my life now. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So with that you um, talked about the, the joys that you were looking for and now you've found more joys. I found a purpose, I would say. Yeah. And the purpose gives joy as a byproduct. It's not that I found joy. You yeah. really can't find, you start searching for happiness, you'll never find it. We find a meaningful purpose in life. And so I find the study, as I said, studying, savoring, and sharing the Gita. That purpose gives joy as a byproduct. 
And would you also say that then that purpose helps us deal with pains? And if so, what are some pains that you found this purpose has helped you wrestle through? Yeah, definitely. I remember when I was my engineering studies, one night I just had terrible pain. And somehow that time was like a national strike going on, so there were no hospitals also open. So all night I was in pain. And next morning we went uh, to a hospital and I had kidney stone. So that night was probably the most miserable night of my life. I just didn't know what to do. Just in pain, moaning. Then maybe about third, for 15 years later, in, that was I think 94, 95, something like that. This was 2011, after I started practicing Bhakti for 10, 12 years. I fell and I had a fracture. A severe fracture. It was a small fall, but because my leg was weak, it was a bad fracture. Almost like three-fourths of the thigh bone had come out of its connection with the waist. So it was very painful and I, I felt great pain. But then, uh, somehow, I started reciting Bhagavad Gita verses because I love to recite the Gita. As I started reciting, I started feeling myself rising above the pain. It was just for the next four or five hours till we did an x-ray, went to the doctor, then we uh, scheduled emergency surgery. I was continuously reciting. I could feel myself raised above the pain. When the doctor saw my x-ray, who was supposed to do the surgery, I went to the hospital, the doctor said, no, person with this kind of flexion should be screaming in pain. Say, have you taken a painkiller? I said, no, I have not taken anything. So, I felt that, of course, I won't say that I was chanting out of devotion. I was chanting out of necessity. One day, I hope I will chant without of devotion also. But I can clearly see that this body is here. And if we can make our consciousness attached to something higher in life, then it helps to <clears throat> raise our consciousness out of our problems. Another time, I was very sick. And I used to get shivering attacks. So, it was very annoying and very scary also at times so once I was every evening I would get it and nobody was able to diagnose what was wrong but one day when I was having that attack somebody called me on phone and asked a very interesting question and I started answering that question and then suddenly it was like 10, 15 minutes I answered the question on phone and then I realized that the shivering attack had gone and I realized it also so I do feel that absorption in, in Krishna does help us to, I can't say eliminate distress, but at least rise above the distress. Okay. Yeah. And would you find that also translates into emotional pains? or Emotional pains are a little bit more intimate, so it's more difficult to deal with them. But yes, I would say that absorption in Krishna can happen in different ways. Sometimes it can be in a limb of bhakti. Now one limb also is association. So, all of us go through life and people close to us, disappoint us, betray us. And that will happen even in devotee circle also. So, I found that we have to stop being attached to our expectations from people. So, detachment in the relationships doesn't mean that we don't care for people. It means that we don't depend on people. So, sometimes people may let us down. But if we try to turn toward Krishna, then Krishna will guide us to some other devotees with whom we are able to connect. So I've seen that Krishna fulfills our needs. If we try to absorb ourselves in Krishna, in emotional pain, just absorption in Krishna alone may not be that easy. So we also need someone else to heal the emotional wounds. 
so we might break down a relationship might break down with one devotee but then some other relationship with some other devotee will, will open up so if we have some friends with whom we can share that helps to deal with emotional pain but otherwise I found for emotional pain journaling very helpful is write down my thoughts my desires my anger whatever everything is there and then after that just you feel relieved then a, a day or two later just look back at it look at everything and read out okay this this is a valid grievance I need to address this this I'm being too sentimental over here this I'm being judgmental so I don't really know whether this was the motive why the person did this this maybe if I communicate things will be resolved so basically what I do by that is I make my intelligence the counselor of my mind if you don't have someone with whom you can talk then what you do let the mind talk have it say put it all in writing down and then after that after you calm after you calm down then let the intelligence analyze this and respond to it and then you refine the whole thing together and keep it ready because our mind the same wound may keep hurting us again but if you have processed it it will hurt less okay this person did such a thing to me what a terrible person yeah but okay you know okay this has gone wrong but still this is right in my life this is right in my life so if we this has worked out like this so I think either by journaling or by associating we have to deal with emotional pain in the appropriate we can't wish it away can't just say chant Hare Krishna and the emotional pain will go away sometimes it may but many times it may not so emotional pain has to be dealt with appropriately and um, have you found, um, as a leader, that um, a lot of a lot of these, because you gave as an example, often interpersonal issues? Mm. Did you find a lot of those come up in a leadership position? Everywhere. <laughs> Let's say that we are all irreducibly individual, so there will be differences inevitably, just because we are individual. Secondly. Practicing Krishna consciousness requires going against the flow of the world. Now, anybody who has the capacity to do that, to go against the flow of the world, needs to be strong-minded. Because they can't resist the flow of the world otherwise. And those strong-minded people, how can you expect them to be just submissive and accept what somebody else is saying? So the very nature of the strong-mindedness that will bring us to Krishna consciousness will also create different strong opinions in Krishna consciousness so what I feel is that we as a movement need to broaden and accommodate different devotees with different understandings of Krishna consciousness or different understandings of how they want to do things so <clears throat> if we give space to people then people can do a lot if we try to impose this is what you have to do then it will become a problem so, Prabhupada wanted us to be intermittently thoughtful. So, one way to resolve relationships is issues just by giving people space. And uh, if we do that, then devotees can do extraordinary things in Krishna's service. It needs that many devotees can be extraordinarily empowered. But if they're not given space, they feel choked. And then, then all that choking leads to all kind of negativity. So, actually, it requires the leadership to be specially empowered to engage empowered people. So if the leadership is not empowered, leadership is like very narrow. Do this, do this, do this. This is right, that is wrong. Then if you have that attitude, then people feel choked. So Prabhupada says that one election that, you know, don't. He says Krishna conscious individual, voluntary and spontaneous. So when a soul is inspired to do some service to Krishna, 
Krishna consciousness arises. So there can be many, many different ways in which devotees can be Krishna conscious. And as leaders, our challenge is to encourage people to be Krishna conscious, but also to uh, give people space in which they can be Krishna conscious. Not impose that this is what you have to do. Only if you are doing this, you are Krishna conscious. So if we do that, if we give people space, they can do tremendous things. You said that um, leaders are empowered to empower others. In a way, there's a sort of dependency um, uh, implied by um, that statement. Uh, do you ever find the uh, burdens or responsibilities of leaders, leadership difficult and how have you personally dealt with and coped with them? Yeah, I think... The just being a devotee itself is a burden but there are some burdens which bring out the best within us some which bring out the worst within us so I feel if you just try to be real that means don't uh, don't pretend that you are more advanced than what you are so my metaphor whenever I give classes which I keep in mind is like we are all warriors and here are some weapons that have worked to some extent for me try it out if it works for you I don't think of myself as a teacher giving instructions to others. I say we are all fellow warriors fighting in the war against illusion. And here are some weapons which worked for me. And see if they work for you. So I think that uh, the more traditionally the relationship was more vertical. But now we are moving towards, we are all seekers. We might be a little, a little more ahead than others. But I feel a more horizontal kind of relationship where we are friendly rather than authoritarian or even authoritative where that that works best with today's today's mind so if we don't uh, artificially put ourselves in a very big position then then the challenges of leadership don't become inordinately exaggerated increased they are always there <coughs> but but if we see I am also one of the one of the warriors trying to fight, then it doesn't uh, become that much big. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you could have one message, heartfelt message to give out to um, all of ISKCON members today and even for the future, what mm. would um, that be? A piece of advice maybe or just... Your spiritual advancement is your responsibility. Don't outsource it to the temple, to the spiritual master, to the counsellor, to the bhakti ruksha leader. You are here to grow spiritually, take responsibility for that. And that means all of us can complain about the things that are wrong in our community, in our society, even in our particular life. But um, it's ironic that sometimes we may say the only problem in the world is Krishna consciousness. But the only problem in my Krishna consciousness is this particular leader is so troublesome. This particular person is like this, this person is like that. No. If the only problem in the world is Krishna consciousness, then the only problem in my life is also Krishna consciousness. That is lack of Krishna consciousness. Rather. The only problem in the world is a lack of Krishna consciousness. So we can see that, yes, there will be difficulties for us in our individual spiritual life, in our social spiritual life. But if we take responsibility to try to make things better sometimes you feel I am just one small devotee is constantly begins to what can I do yeah 
uh, and if we feel I am helpless, we could ask a counterintuitive question. Yeah, things are things I feel are bad, but can I make them worse? Can I make them worse? Obviously, I can gossip, I can backbite, I can do, I can. Each of us has the power to make things worse. <coughs> so if we can make things worse, that means we are not as powerless as we think. If we can make things worse, that means we can also make them better. So find out one thing which you can do better, either in our own spiritual life, in our contribution to the community. And through that, a positive change will come about. So if we take responsibility for lighting one, one light, just the light of our own heart, the light of sunlight around us, that is better than cursing the darkness. There are, there are many things which can be, which we may have valid grievances about, but no one has it easy. Nowhere in the world, in devotee community, in non-devotee community, no one has it easy. Life is tough. So rather than complaining or hoping that things will become better somehow in future, you know, just take responsibility to make whatever change positively that we can. And from that things will grow. Even if things don't grow, I think they will change positively externally, at least they will change internally. So I say that stop blaming your outer world, start building your inner world. We've got so many resources, we have Krishna, Prabhupada, we have our spiritual master, we have Vaishnavas, previous Acharyas, all their mercy is there. But to the extent we take responsibility, we can access it. You know, every generation has its Acharyas. And the previous generation's Acharyas, they do not work directly in our generation. In our generation, if a change has to be made, it has to be made by devotees from our generation. So, we have to take that responsibility. And then, we have, if we stop blaming and start building our inner world, we have our whole glorious tradition and Krishna himself there with us to help us, to empower us. And we may be able to do far more than what we thought we could if we just begin with that one small step. Okay, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for visiting Iskand Sydney. We've all benefited so much from your visit here. Um, just as we finish, is there any, are there any exciting new projects or anything cool coming up on the horizon? Um, yeah, so my, my main service is writing. So I have Gita Daily as a website where I write every day on the Gita. So that we have almost more than half a million followers for that. So through that, Writing now, I have got to a mainstream publisher in India uh, who wants me to write about 10 books on scriptural wisdom for today's world. So on Ramayana, Mahabharat, Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, Upanishads. So the first book I wrote on the Ramayana is able to reach a significant number of mainstream audience outside ISKCON also. So I feel that there is a, there's a big need for wisdom in today's world and people are open for wisdom even from scriptural sources if we present it as wisdom and not as uh, ideology or dogma that this is what you have to believe it no this is how it makes sense this is how it works why don't you try it out so we present it like that so i'm quite excited about these books and making our scriptural wisdom accessible so i seek the good wishes and blessings of devotees so that i can render this service to a tradition by making its uh, core texts accessible to a mainstream audience.
Thank you. Thank you. Hare Krishna.